I'm going out for a drink with a new work friend tonight and along with thinking about okay how do I how do I be friendly without coming on way too strong how do I be interesting when I feel like my life is so boring how do we not talk about work the whole night basically how do I manage every aspect of the conversation so that she thinks I'm amazing and perfect Uh, I'm also thinking at what point do I reveal that I make a podcast about poetry like when's a good time to bring that up do you bring it up immediately (laughs) is it is it more fair on the person to just let them know up front I think it's probably best to just say it straight up like we sit down we get a drink and I say so here's one thing that you don't know about me yet I just wanted to get it out of the way just so you know if you want to leave that's fine but yeah I I have this uh I have a podcast and then she can make up her own mind that's the ethical approach I believe it's been a really big week by my standards I've been to a poetry launch last night I went to a wonderful reading there's more on over the weekend more poetry stuff I've been finishing drafts at work finishing work at home I forget but this does happen every year or it seems to have happened the last couple of years at least November December it's like a unofficial poetry festival here in Melbourne there is stuff on almost every night and often more than one thing it just all crams into this six-week pre-Christmas period so I'm just going to roll with it I did want to give a little shout out here actually to Catherine, Catherine Fitzhuel, who puts together this intermittent, beautifully intermittent, like it's not like it's every week, it's whenever it lands in your inbox, this email where she lists all the events that are coming up here in Melbourne and elsewhere, all the publications that are open, where people are, you know, people who've got fellowships to go overseas, who's doing what what prizes are open, um, what funding you can apply for. She even mentions this show sometimes. And Catherine, if you didn't put that email together, I wouldn't have a clue what's going on. You really are doing one of the most important jobs in Melbourne poetry at the moment. uh, And you're helping me to stay the hell off social media. You are an absolute champion. I was thinking I could do events here on the show Uh, especially in periods like this but talking about upcoming events on a podcast is a bit like when you hang a sheet over a bridge with a happy birthday message on it it's like happy birthday Jaden happy 18th somebody will appreciate it but most people will drive by and think who the fuck's Jaden but yeah it's a crazy busy time in Melbourne poetry alongside all the events and stuff I've been talking to a bunch of people about the show uh, writing to people I've been sending a lot of emails I might be able to stay off social media but uh, still addicted to my inboxes I hope you've had a good week so far I'm so delighted to be in touch for this week's I make a podcast called Poetry Says and I'm getting in touch to ask whether you'd be interested in being a guest on the show I recently read your book, which I devoured in an afternoon. Did you think you would be where you are? 
sitting somewhere in a room in a medium-sized Australian city, reading an email from me. I don't know if there's ever been a day I haven't been waiting for the other shoe to drop. I have seen the bear, and I do understand the phrase no one's counting shoes, but in the end, Jeremy Allen White learns nothing. Anyway, I kind of have I. Anyway, I kind of hate how great your book is, and actually, now that I think about it, I don't want to talk to you, ever. I Let hate you. Know if there's anything Alice. else you need from me to get started. Going to all these things and talking to all these different people, I've been thinking about how there are just so many different ways to be in poetry. There are so many different ways to be a poet. So many different approaches to this weird life that we choose to lead. The reading that I went to was really beautiful. It was a celebration of James Schuyler's 100th birthday and there were six readers plus an open mic and we all just read Schuyler for a couple of hours together and talked about Schuyler and um, there were readings from his diaries and from his reviews and it was just gorgeous. It's just, it's lovely to be in a space where everybody's focused on somebody else's poetry it's a really different feeling and of course Skylar is just so delightful and funny and such a and such a relaxing presence to have in the room uh, I got up and read this dark apartment which brought the vibe down considerably that's that's my move at open mics is to depress people but no it was gorgeous it felt very early 2000s Everybody sitting around on the ground and on makeshift chairs with cans of beer. But even in that one space, I was looking around and thinking, there are so many different approaches here to this, even to this one idea, thinking about James Schuyler. It can look like, it can look cohesive, like it can look like a cohesive scene, I think. But it's really not. Everybody's got their own approach to how they want to live as a poet. And the launch was the same. There were so many different types of people there. And even this was a launch of four books written together by Ken Bolton and Peter Bukowski. And even just the differences between Ken and Peter, they're, they're such different poets and yet they've managed to write these books together. And then everybody in the room had a different relationship to that work and probably a whole bunch of people there were not people who would call themselves poetry people. One of the people I met, uh, this was at the Schuyler event, was very, very new to Melbourne, only a couple of months here. And I was, I was making the case that like Melbourne is, it's, yeah, some of these spaces are intimidating. Like, I still get really scared. I'm always rocking up, um, nervous, and usually I've been sitting in my car for 15 minutes, like, psyching myself up <laughs> to go to something. But, um, yeah, I was telling this person, like, it's a friendly city. And walking home last night, I was thinking, one of the things that keeps it friendly is we generally don't tell each other how to do poetry we don't tell each other how to be I think that's kind of crucial but at the start of the week uh, towards the start of the week on Tuesday Melbourne Cup Day 
I found out that the poet and translator David Ferry had died. This is not a huge surprise. David Ferry was 99 years old. To an Australian poetry reader, he's probably not anyone in particular. He was American. He wrote poems of his own, but he was mainly a translator and he translated Horace. And it's his translations that really matter to me. I had a conversation with Matthew over on Slee Ricketts last year about Horace. I'm still really proud of that conversation. Doing the research to get ready for it, I really fell in love with Horace. He felt like this friendly presence in poetry, somebody I could hang out with. And so for my birthday, I asked for a copy of David Ferry's translation of the Odes. I didn't quite get that. I got a copy of David Ferry's translation of Horace's Epistles, which is, you know, still great, still very great, still a very lovely birthday gift. And one of the good things about getting this book is that it includes something that I have been trying to get my head around in poetry for a very long time, much longer than I've ever really understood who Horace was or what his whole deal was. His Ars Poetica. It's taken me so long to understand what Ars Poetica even means, especially in the way that it's used today. It feels like its meaning has gotten more flexible. As far as I can piece together, and it, it seems like weirdly not straightforward anymore, but as far as I can piece together, an Ars Poetica is a poem about poetry. A poem or a line or a, a piece of writing in which a poet talks about how they are and how they want to be. My go-to example of this is a very short poem by Lorene Niedeker, which is so short that I, I do have it committed to memory. It's usually referred to by its first line, Grandfather advised me. Grandfather advised me, learn a trade. I learned to sit at desk and condense. No layoff from this condensery. It's a beautifully effective uh, set of lines or set of words, really. I don't know how many words that would be, like 25, something like that. She's working with so little, but she's telling you an entire family history and the history of her life. She's telling you that she came from a family that valued a certain way of being, a certain way of working in the world, and that she went against that and decided to do something different. And that there's an advantage to that. She's not going to get laid off. No layoff from this condensory. And to me, there is also a sense in that of yeah, the condensery is, um, there's not much to it. You sit at desk and condense. That is, that's the, that's the whole game. That's how she sums it up, the life of the poet. But in, in looking deeper into Horace and trying to understand more about what his deal was, I was trying to make myself read the original, well, not the original, not in fucking Latin, but the translation of the Ars Poetica. And there is a translation published by the Poetry Foundation online, which I think is adapted from two separate translations. I don't know what's gone wrong with it, but it is so turgid. It is unreadable. I tried, I would have tried like six times to read this thing 
at various intervals, I've kind of gone, okay, Ars Poetica, Ars Poetica, what the fuck is it? I'm going to go back, I'm going to read this thing from top to bottom and I'm going to figure it out and then it starts. If a painter should wish to unite a horse's neck to a human head and spread a variety of plumage over limbs of different animals taken from every part of nature so that what is a beautiful woman in the upper part terminates unsightly in an ugly fish below. Have you ever had equal authority for attempting anything? We are conscious of this and this privilege we demand and allow in turn, but not to such a degree that the tame should associate with the savage, nor that serpents should be coupled with birds, lambs and tigers. Oh my. It is time to go and watch reality television, is what that translation makes me think. Uh, I mean, it is online, so it's harder to read to begin with, but... It's one of those pages where you, you start to scroll and then you look at how tiny the scroll bar is and you just go, oh, no, fuck that. Absolutely not. So I've never made it to the end. But when I got this book for my birthday last year, uh, David Ferry's Epistles of Horace, I realized that it had the Ars Poetica in it. And I thought, okay, so I could give it another try, I suppose. And I sat down and... In a couple of afternoons, I just worked my way through it. Didn't even work my way through it. It just happened in front of me. David Ferry's translation is so delightfully simple and light and just easy, just straightforwardly easy. It was like reading an entirely new thing. And so I could hear Horace for the first time in this piece in the Ars Poetica and I could understand what he was saying and uh, yeah it's it's really fascinating because it's a strange mix of quite good advice on how to be as a poet and fucking crazy bullshit (laughs) like really crazy stuff he goes off on these tangents this is why I love him he is just He's half, like, quite sane and wise and and grounded and knows whereof he speaks. And then he just will, like, get in a mood and he'll get really uh, bitter and annoyed and, and start, like, taking pot shots at people. Withhold your favor from any poem that doesn't show signs of the time spent upon it the blotting and pruning, the cutting, amending, putting the polished surface ten times over again to the fingernails test. Democritus taught that inborn genius is worth much more than poor old hard-earned skill, and he shut the door to Helicon, to any poet who happened to be in his right mind. And ever since, there are lots of poets who wouldn't dream of cutting their nails or shaving their beards, and love to hang around in lonely haunts far from the public baths. Let me try to explain a little bit more what this is. I'm going to I'm going to lean on uh, David Ferry's notes here. Okay. The Ars Poetica is I guess it's about 20 pages long in this translation and the actual title is To the Pisos, The Art of Poetry: Notes for Aspiring Poets and Playwrights. So it's not just uh, it's not just for poets, 
it's for people who want to put on good plays as well. And David Ferry explains in the back here, he says, the Pizos were a prominent family. Uh, nothing is known about this particular branch beyond what can be inferred from the poem. One of the two sons seems to have had ambitions to be a playwright. And as you read through it, you can kind of piece together this family seems to have gone to Horace for some advice. It's that thing of like, um, oh, this has happened to me once or twice. <laughs> and thank God I've never had to go through with it. But like somebody will pro approach me and say, oh, my, my daughter is interested in um, becoming a copywriter. And she'd really love to pick your brain, a phrase I absolutely hate, about how how to do that and what um what's involved and um you know she's looking at going to university and she'd really like to know um what that what that life is like um and uh yeah you get that email and you just think oh god okay so <laughs> your daughter <laughs> what i want to say to your daughter is dear daughter of colleague um I first became a copywriter in 2013, having completely run out of options. There, there is almost any other thing that you could do with your life uh, than try to make money moving words around on a page that would be better. It took me two years to build up a client list that brought in anything like enough money. Over the last three years in particular, I have made less and less money year on year to the point where I have had to return to an office, to my doctor, and to my psychologist. What I really and that's miss... that's what the Ars Poetica is. Horace has been, I don't know, employed or asked by this family to give them some advice, specifically to give the son some advice about how to be, how to be poets and playwrights. Can't forget the playwright bit because that is all through it. He is talking at once about being a poet, but also about how to put on a good show. So what I did, what became much, much easier to do with David Ferry's translation was to just basically look at a stanza or look at a, a group of lines and figure out what's the overall point here? What's the overall message? And so I went through and I was able to pull out basically what the, what the rules are. The rules of how to be a poet and playwright according to Horace. Okay, so I've distilled it down to 21 rules here. Do one thing well. Don't get decorative just for the sake of it. Keep it simple. Learn the tools of the trade. Know your limits. Write what you know. If you decide to make it new, be careful. Don't be original just for the sake of it. Language changes. You should use a form and language that fits your subject. Don't be too timid. Don't be too pompous. Write real characters and write plots that make sense. Leave something to the imagination. Don't pander. Revise. Teach people and delight them while you are teaching them. Accept that you're going to write bad things. Don't rely on one-off delights. You are expendable. Don't publish too soon. Talent and work matter. Appreciate criticism. And don't be fooled by flattery. When I read this, I'm also imagining the sons who are listening to this guy and thinking, 
who the fuck is this? Like, who is this dude? Why, why did dad bring him over? He's clearly drunk for starters. <laughs> He's probably drunk. He's, he doesn't even seem to like his job half the time. He's full of opinions, but half of them contradict each other. Why, why should I listen to him? And I think Horace knows that he's not going to be listened to. And that's why he goes off on these jags about um, how terrible everything is these days and uh, how nobody will listen to him anyway. But, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll say it even though it's going to fall on deaf ears. What a fool I am for purging myself of bile each year as soon as spring comes round again. Nobody would write better poems than I if I didn't do so. But what on earth's the point? Instead, I'll choose to be a kind of whetstone, good for sharpening steel to a cutting edge, but itself unable to cut. Though I write nothing, I'll teach what it is to write. What fosters a poet and makes him what he is, what's right, what's wrong, what paths he ought or ought not to set out on. Yeah, it's, it's an understandable position. I mean, Horace did not live... Um, how old was he when he died? He was like 40-something. Born in 65 BCE, lived until 8 BCE. Uh, maths. 57. All right, he lived until he was 57. And when was the when was the Rs written? Oh, I should have looked this up before I started recording. Actually, Google is telling me Horace died at 56, so my maths is, is off, as it always is. Oh, okay, so composed sometime between 20 BCE and 13 BCE. We don't know. We just don't know when any of this happened. But he could have been, the oldest he could have been is oh, maths. Okay, so he dies in BCE. And if it was written in 13 BCE, he would have been like early 50s. Is that right? Does that sound right? Okay, the point is he's a little bit um, past it. <laughs> He thinks, not by our standards, obviously. He's a, he's a spring chicken. He's a, he's a silver fox. But, um, yeah, I think in Horace's own mind, he is a wizened old man um, who's been around the block and, yes, he knows a bunch of stuff, but no one's going to listen to him anyway. So that's the tone of the Ars Poetica. Father and worthy sons, we poets often know what we're aiming at, and often we miss. I try my best to be terse, and I'm obscure. I try for mellifluous smoothness, smooth as can be, and the line comes out as spineless as a worm. One poet, aiming for grandeur, booms and blusters. Another one, scared, creeps his way under the storm, and another, desiring to vary his single theme in wonderful ways, produces not wonders, but monsters. Dolphins up in the trees, pigs in the ocean. If you don't know what you're doing, you can go wrong just out of trying to do your best to do right. It's a lot of different things. It's, it's sobering at points. A poet who's just mediocre, just all right, has nothing of any value to bring to men or gods. It's as when at a party, the music's played discordantly, the perfumed oil is viscous. The poppy seeds are served with second-rate honey. The offence is that the feast could get along without ineptitudes like these. A poem's created to yield delight to the heart and mind. If it falls a little short of doing that, 
It falls right down to the bottom, all the way down. It's stunning in how, how the same things, Horace is saying the same things that poets right now are saying about each other and to each other. The question often comes up whether a good poem derives from nature or from art. The truth of it is, learning is nothing at all without the bounty of nature, and natural talent is nothing at all if left to itself untaught. Each has to depend on the other, and so together they do the work as friends. The runner who wants to win the race has, since he was a boy, put up with a lot in training, has sweated and strained and kept himself away from wine and women. The flutist who wants to play at the Pythian Games studies his lessons hard, scared of his teacher. But poets today find it perfectly easy to say, I love this poem I wrote. It's wonderful. I'm the king of the hill. They wouldn't dream of being left behind or of confessing that they hadn't learned what they hadn't tried to learn. <laughs> so angry. It's heartbreaking and it's hilarious. Just as an auctioneer calls out to gather a crowd to show off his goods to, so a rich poet calls on his flatterers all to gather round him. But if there's something in it for them, a good dinner, security for a loan, or help with a lawsuit, how will he ever tell who's true and who's false? If by any chance you've given someone a present, or let him know of your intent to give one, don't ask that delighted person to hear the verses you've just written. He's sure to cry out, beautiful, oh marvellous, just perfect. And it ends on this weird note, really weird note, that I cannot make sense of. Even with David Ferry's beautiful translation, I get to this last stanza and I'm like, what, what happened? What made him become a poet anyway? Maybe he pissed on the ashes of his father, or did something else unholy someplace holy. Whatever it was, he's crazy. And like a bear who's broken out of his cage, he puts to flight everybody he meets by his horrible reading. If he catches a man, he'll read that man to death. He's a leech that won't let go till he's full of blood. That's the end. I, I got to the end and I was like, am I missing a page? <laughs> Acknowledgements, notes, and glossary. Yeah, no, that's the end. He's a leech that won't let go until he's full of blood. Wow. Yeah, thanks, Dad. Um, thanks for inviting your friend over. He seems, um, he seems like he's got some problems. We're just, we're going to go out um, and, and hang with our friends now. Thanks a lot. Can I have the car keys? Number one rule of Wall Street. Nobody. I don't care if you're Warren Buffett or if you're Jimmy Buffett, nobody knows if the stock is gonna go up, down, sideways, or in fucking circles. Least of all stockbrokers, mm -hmm. right? It's all a Fugazi. You know what a Fugazi is? Well, Fugazi, it's a uh, fake. Yeah, Fugazi, Fugazi, it's a wazi, it's a woozy, it's a fairy dust. It doesn't exist, it's never landed. It is no matter, it's not on the elemental chart. It, it's not fucking real, right? All right. All right. <laughs> Stay with me. What I love most about it is that even though it's a set of instructions, it's a set of instructions from somebody who knows that that he is just one version of what a, a poet could be. Or maybe that's not quite the right way to put it. I think by the end of his life, Horace 
definitely sees himself as the legend that he's that he is. Uh, he probably didn't realize that his legend was going to last for thousands of years, but he knows that he's got respect. He's got money. He, like the emperor has supported him for a long time. He's got some powerful friends. He's seen his books become famous, and he knows that they're going to stay famous, at least for a while. But in the Ars Poetica, he's, the tone is like, listen to me if you want to. I do know what I'm talking about, but also you'll probably just ignore me anyway, and you're going to have to figure it out yourself. The other thing is that he knows he's flawed. He's as flawed as the next guy. I love the, um, the epistle to his book. Let me find that one. I'll just read, I'll just read you the last stanza. But when the day is nearly done and people are sitting around you, so this is him talking to his, to his book. But when the day is nearly done and people are sitting around you, taking the evening air, please tell them who I was. Son of a freedman in humble circumstance, my wings too strong for the nest I was born in. What your tale subtracts because of my birth, may it add because of my merit. The foremost men of Rome, in peace and war, were pleased with me, and what I was able to do. A little man, and prematurely grey, a lover of the sun, easily angered, but easily pacified. If anyone asks, I was 44 years old in that December when Lollius chose Lepidus as his partner. Easily angered, but easily pacified. So you read something like that, and even if you just look at what's in the Ars Poetica, you, you get so much of Horace, the person, this person who lived thousands and thousands of years ago, through these translations, these beautiful translations of David Ferries, that you get to decide... Am I going to take this guy's advice? He's like the opposite of a TV preacher who has like a, a secret that he's ashamed of. Horace is going to tell you exactly who he is up front. He's also going to give you advice. Some of it is solid. Some of it is weirdly contradictory. Sometimes it's impossible to follow. He's like, Look, just take what you like. I don't care. <laughs> I don't really care at the end of the day. Those are rookie numbers in this racket. I myself, I jerk off at least twice a day. Wow. Once in the morning, right after I work out, and then once right after lunch. Really? Mm -hmm. Okay? I want to. That's not why I do it. Mm -hmm. I do it because I fucking need to. Think mm -hmm. about it. You're dealing with numbers all day long. Mm -hmm. Decimal points, high frequencies, bang, bang, bang. <laughs> fucking digits. <laughs> all very acidic, above the shoulders, mustard shit. Mm -hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. It kind of can wake some people out. Mm -hmm. Right? You got to feed the geese to keep the blood flowing. Mm -hmm. I keep the rhythm below the belt. Done. This is not a tip. This is a prescription. Trust me. Mm -hmm. If you don't, you will fall out of balance, split your differential, and tip the fuck over. Or worse yet, I've seen this happen. Implode. No, I don't want to implode, sir. No. no. No, you don't. Why do I bring all this up? Apart from thinking about these gatherings that I've been to and, and all the different kinds of people who are in the room and, and what that means for, like, poetry community, quote-unquote. 
in Melbourne, in Australia, in the world. Um, the other reason I bring all this up is that when I talk to people out in the world and, and when I look in my inboxes, particularly the Poetry Says inbox, I feel like I'm being asked a question a lot of the time and it's the same question and it's phrased really differently but it's it's really the same thing and the question is am I doing this right am I doing it like everybody else does it am I being a poet right and all I ever say all I can ever say is like Christ I don't know (laughs) I'm sitting in my car eating hot chips like I don't know what to tell you I don't know how to be far out. I, uh, yeah, God knows. God knows if we're doing it right. God knows if any of us are doing it right. Last little PS for you here. I have a Christmas request. I really want to do a Christmas episode and I need your help. What I want you to do, I would love for you to send me some silly poetry questions and you can make them particularly silly because what I'm going to do is I'm going to answer your questions about like really whatever the hell you want like as long as it's loosely related to poetry Um, but I'm not going to name you when I answer the questions Um, so these are anonymous questions that you can ask me for my Christmas episode and um, who knows, maybe I'll drink some champagne as I answer them and my answers will get increasingly silly. But I would just love to know, you know, what's on your mind? Like, what's your, um, what's your, it's Dear Prudence, but it's poetry is what I'm, what I'm going for here. Or it's, uh, you know, I've always wanted to be Dan Savage. So it's, it's the Savage Love cast, but it's poetry. Your anonymity will be entirely protected you really can trust me on that. Um, yeah, I'm not going to out you. Ask me whatever you like, and I will give you the dumbest answer I can come up with. And if I get no questions, I will just answer the Dear Prudence questions um, to my own liking. That's my Christmas plan. All right, it's 8.15. I'm going to go get more coffee Thank you for listening. Thank you for, like, yeah. I'm not going to bust a gut again, but, like, (laughs) it's really fucking nice to go out into the world and have people come up to me and say, hey, I listened to this and I really liked it. And, like, wow. Seriously, wow. I don't know. I have to go sit in my car again and and just, like, think really hard about whether I deserve all this... uh, all this praise and attention, <laughs> which I'm clearly so comfortable with. Oh, so comfortable. Yeah, anyway, wish me luck at drinks. How, how do I, uh, like, how do I, I guess what I'm saying is, like, how do I not come across as, like, super fucking desperate, right? Because what this girl doesn't know. Revolutions. You follow? Revolutions. Keep the clients on the Ferris wheel. And it goes. The park is open 24 7, 365. Every decade, every goddamn century. That's it. Name of the game. Uh, 
Hakiriki. Mm. Thank you. Mm. Mm. 